Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Not long ago, while I was here on this campus teaching a New Testament class, we were focused on the life of Jesus Christ. And at the conclusion of a discussion about the last days and the hypocrisy that will be found therein, a student approached me and asked me an important question. His motives seemed pure to me as he reflected. The scriptures state that in the last days, if it were possible, even the very elect will be deceived. Sister Platt, how will I know him? I don't want to be deceived. My first thought was to turn him back to the scriptures that we had just studied together and to re-explore what we had studied, but the Spirit told me to do otherwise. I was prompted to ask him a question, much like what I would imagine the Lord might ask, because he has done it at various other occasions. Do you know him now? I asked. Is he familiar to you? Or in other words, in the words of Jesus, what think ye of Christ? His eyes filled with tears. No, I don't think I know him as I should. Please, will you teach me how I can come to recognize him? That's a humbling moment as a teacher. His honest inquiry is reflective of truth of every disciple's desire. How can we sincerely become seekers of truth, coming to know and recognize Jesus Christ so that we are not deceived? Certainly, we live in the last days, and many are deceived for, as the scriptures state, Satan is abroad in the land, and he goeth forth deceiving the nations. Yet the role of the adversary is essential to our agency. He is total darkness in contrast to the light of Christ's love. We can choose to walk in Christ's light. The Lord has established a pattern that, when applied, helps to avoid deception. The promise is that those who, quote, prayeth, whose spirit is contrite, the same is accepted of me if he obey my ordinances. He that speaketh, whose spirit is contrite, whose language is meek and edifieth, the same as of God, if he obey mine ordinances. And again, he that trembleth under my power shall be made strong, and shall bring forth fruits of praise and wisdom according to the revelations and truth that I have given. Simply stated, those that emulate the Savior by walking in the light of his love, observing God's covenants with real intent, and follow the Holy Ghost— with humility, will be protected from deception. The Savior establishes a pattern of obedience for every one of us to follow. I love the hymn, Our Savior's Love, the theme for our conference. The author of the text, Edward Leroy Hart, talks about the process that he went through in, in, discerning, in learning to discern truth from God. He reminisces that the inspiration for writing the words of the hymn grew out of a simple reflection of a simile from everyday, uh, an everyday observation while shopping. I like that. Um, he had watched shoppers in a fabric store assess the true color of a piece of fabric by holding it up to the sunlight, as the natural light gives the most accurate representation of the color. 
Likewise, the most accurate assessment of whether something is true or not is in the light of our Savior's love. When we hold our character to the light of the sun, he will show us the truth of who we really are and correct our course so we can make adjustments to more accurately reflect his light. Our challenge is to prioritize our time to perform works in the natural light of the Lord rather than in an artificial dim light of the adversary. As we seek daily to walk in the light of his love, we come to recognize him, know him, and pattern our lives after his works while becoming worthy receptacles of his light. General Conference is a powerful context for self-reflection and assessment and increasing in light and knowledge, and I love that it's just around the corner and Easter Sunday. Isn't that great? The words of living prophets and apostles draw clear and accurate light into our lives. When we study and review their teachings on a regular basis, we see specific ways to refine our discipleship. Choosing to act promptly on an invitation given from conference speakers will increase our awareness of the spirit in our lives while also refining and developing our character. An example was from one year ago in the April 2014 conference. I loved the invitation that Elder M. Russell Ballard issued to each of us with the, with the idea that we might study the missionary guide preach my gospel. Here's what he said. I invite all members, regardless of your current calling or level of activity in the church, to obtain a copy of Preach My Gospel. It is available through our distribution centers and also online. The online version can be read or downloaded at no cost. It's a guidebook for missionary work, which means it's a guidebook for all of us to read. Read it, study it, and then apply what you learn to help you understand how to bring souls to Christ through invitation and follow-up. For me, this became a tangible and measurable act that had potential to profoundly influence lives um, as I chose to obey. Not long after the invitation was extended, I chose to initiate a study of Preach My Gospel and found myself specifically drawn to Chapter 6, Obtaining Christ-like Attributes. How do I develop Christ-like attributes? Um, within that attribute study is a questionnaire, a personal assessment, it's assessment that invites us to reflect upon our fallen nature and how we can conquer the natural man through the atonement of Christ by focusing on and seeking to acquire his attributes. Through my study of attributes such as faith, charity, humility, hope, I recognized the intentionality of the Savior and his teachings. While being deliberate and purposeful is not one of the listed attributes in the manual, I believe that this is an attribute, that the attribute of being intentional shapes all of the Christ-like attributes. Exploring the various teaching methods of the Messiah helps to illuminate his intentional and deliberate approach to life. As the master teacher, our Lord utilized techniques to best meet the needs of whomever he was interacting with. There were times when he used his surroundings to help others, to understand what was intended for them to learn. Ordinary circumstances became magnificent with the touch of the master's hand. Questions invited learners to self-reflect and search for understanding. Miraculous healings evidenced his power to heal not only the physical, but the spiritual ailments of broken souls. Objects such as nets, coins, wheat, and various others 
other things anchored gospel truths in the visual memory. Likewise, the context of learning was as important as the content of his teachings. The Sermon on the Mount is more fully understood when we imagine gathering on the Galilean hillside that became the schoolroom for the autobiographical sketch written in his deeds. Consider the profound meaning Jesus brought to the annual ritual of the Feast of Tabernacles. This joyous celebration included the lighting of four menorahs in the temple courtyard to signify the covenant people's roles as the light unto the nations. It was amid the, amidst the brilliance of the four 75-foot-high lighted menorahs that Christ declared, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This ritual now acclaimed meaning beyond an annual celebration to ignite the house of Israel to truly illuminate the world. Indeed, the Lord's previous teachings, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Becomes a call to come and fan the flame of the faith in our fan of our, to fan the flame of our faith in the light of the love of the Lord. Jesus taught in parables to veil meaning and to give understanding to those with faith and intelligence sufficient to understand. Likewise, our lives become living parables, filled with experiences that can be viewed as either mere stories or customized tutorings, fitted for our own learning and understanding. Christ's teachings, like every moment of his life, are purposeful and focused on his mission of fulfilling the will of the Father by drawing men and women unto him so they might return to the Father. As I studied preach my gospel, particularly Christ-like attributes, I have felt an increase of a desire to bring meaning to everything I do. When we seek to be like him, we will perform even menial tasks with greater intention. Bringing meaning to our day-to-day tasks helps, to wa- helps us to walk in the light of his love. I believe that many of us do good things every day, but perhaps have become complacent or even routine in the performance, forgetting to acknowledge or recognize the power of doing small and simple things with great meaning and purpose. For years now, I have studied the power of ritual ritual, and the impact intentionality has on the most mundane occurrence. Rather than performing our day-to-day routines with little thought or effort, the most ordinary event can become rich in meaning. This is a practice of emulating Christ's approach to life by bringing purpose into the details of our own lives. We can ritualize the ordinary. Rather than associate the word ritual, which we sometimes do, with pagan ceremonies or animal sacrifices, will you consider the idea of ritual as a performing an act with sacredness by seeking for symbolic meaning? Rituals are a fundamental aspect of the ordinances and covenants associated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Professor Alonzo Gaskell researches rites and rituals, and here's what he has noted. Mormons are traditionally not an extremely ritualistic people. 
at least not in their Sunday worship, nor in their day-to-day -day lives. Consequently, some find very little meaning in ritual. Indeed, some saints struggle to see symbolically, per se. Our LDS, one LDS scholar suggested that we Latter-day Saints have become an asymbolic society, and as a result, we do not understand the power of our own rites of passage. This same source added that most of us make little effort to understand the meanings of our own rituals or what ritual behavior implies. Consequently, we fail to comprehend or internalize the messages contained in ritual symbols." End quote. Seeking for meaning in rituals helps us to internalize the intent of Christ's teaching. Rituals lead us to conversion. Converted disciples walk in Christ's light and are not deceived. <coughs> Understanding how to approach a ritual helps us to make the ordinary into meaningful, symbolic experiences. One of my favorite researchers on ritual is a woman named Barbara Feiss. She describes ritual as a symbolic event that has three fundamental parts. And by noting these three things, you can, you can ritualize anything. The parts are this. First, we prepare for the event. Second, we participate in the event with great intention. And third, we reminisce the event. These three events, or these three elements of a ritual, can and often do overlap one another. For instance, I may be participating in an event while reminiscing another event, or preparing by thinking of another event. But participation is the primary and predominant feature. And so in doing this, within the context of a ritual, a group or community defines themselves and de demonstrates their values and beliefs through the use of artifacts, symbols, and communication. Any ordinary occurrence can become sacred when the act is planned for, prepared, planned for, participated with intention, and then reminisced. Think about doing this when you're making your bed, or driving the carpool, studying for an exam, eating a meal with a loved one, studying the scriptures, praying. Everything we do can become a sacred ritual performance. We can emulate the life of the master by doing ordinary things with great intent. While all of Christ's deeds were purposeful, None were more meaningful than the final hours of his life. In his last 24 hours of mortality, he taught his disciples in a way to protect them and enlighten them for the remainder of their lives. In an upper room, he gathered his disciples for the most important Passover meal. This season for the Jews of recognizing the destroying angel passing over the children of Israel was about to take on new meaning as the Paschal Lamb was soon to be sacrificed for the salvation of every sinful soul. This ritual was planned for, participated in with great intention, and remembered by all who participated in it, as well as any who have read and studied the event. The Lord's charge to make ready the Passover meal included the attendance of a temple ceremony that prepared and slew a lamb. The ceremony included chanting passages from Psalm 81. It also included the halal found in Psalm 113 through 18 with the response of, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord. I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Herbs and unleavened bread were acquired to make the meal complete. These preparations were vital for the participation in the ritual feast. Together the holy men, one being unholy, gathered in this final 
Last Supper. In this setting, the Lord identified his betrayer, cast him out, then performed the ordinances. The attendees needed to be worthy of partaking of the Lord's Supper, particularly because this meal was, the, was part of an important work of completing the law of Moses. I love the way Elder Maxwell teaches this. I quote, It is pleasant to suppose that this is the one Paschal Supper over which Jesus presided, and that therefore he offered the last symbolic sacrifice preparatory to his offering of the only real sacrifice, which would free men from their sins. If this is the case, the only sacrifice in which he involved himself, and there is a certain reverential fitness about such being the case, would be the symbolic one on Thursday, whose emblems betoken the infinite and eternal one on Friday. Thus he would endorse and approve all of the similitudes of the past and announce their fulfillment in him. Thus also would the past, the present, and the future all be tied together in him, with the assurance held out to all the faithful of the ages that all who look to him and his atoning sacrifice shall be saved. End quote. The ritual of the Last Supper was a preparatory ritual, ritual for the ultimate sacrifice. Amulek describes it beautifully in the Book of Mormon. This great and last sacrifice brings salvation to all those who shall believe on his name, this being the intent of his, this last sacrifice, to bring about the bowels of mercy, which overpowereth justice and bringeth about means unto men, that they may have faith unto repentance. The sacrament was followed by the ordinance of washing of the feet and teaching exclusively found in John 13 through 17. The deliberate Messiah desired that his disciples be armed with righteousness, prepared for not only what the coming hours held for each of them, but also for their lifetime of persecution. They needed his light in order to not be deceived. The fundamental themes of the teachings captured by John pertain to serving and loving one another, showing love for the Lord by keeping the commandments and preparing for the promised comforter, Using powerful symbols of a vine and branches, he assures them that their good works will be purged, tested, and pruned in order to bring forth more fruit. Unlike the fig tree that had been cursed days before, the Lord's disciples are invited to bring forth good works to be fruitful. The great intercessory prayer demonstrates the profound unity between the Father and the Son, here the Lord commits to making an intercession for all. He accounts for his mortal mission and pleads for us to become one as he and the Father are one. The pinnacle of the Lord's mortal mission begins in the weary journey of the, to the Mount of Olives, Olives, the place of atonement. Every intentional deed he had performed in his lifetime prepared him for this singular experience. Yet his cognitive understanding of what he was to do did not match the experience, as Elder Maxwell teaches. Uttering words of submission and total surrender qualified him as the savior of the world. With great drops of blood, he bore the torments of pain, suffering sin, and the calamity of every human soul. The all-night trials led him to Golgotha. Here the experience of Gethsemane was repeated as he hung on the cross and completed his work of redemption. God the Father must have sequestered himself in the furthest corner of the universe during that unimaginably dark and lonely moment of death. Elder Talmadge teaches that the supreme sacrifice of the Son might be consummated in all its fullness. The Father seems to have withdrawn the support of his immediate presence 
while Jesus was on the cross, leaving to the Savior of men the glory of complete victory over the forces of sin and death. Christ's willingness to have trodden the winepress alone sheds the brightest and purest light on the human family in that brilliant and glorious moment of redemption. We commemorate and reignite this redemptive light in our weekly ritual of our Passover. The sacrament is our reminder of his sacrifices. We renew our covenantal commitment to walk with him. But does routine participation negate our opportunity for communion with the Lord? How can we approach this invitation to the Lord's Supper with greater intention, performing it as a sacred ritual, rich in symbolic meaning? First, we must come to understand the richness of its meaning. Elder Holland has taught on numerous occasions that we can do so. Please listen to this beautiful statement. Perhaps we do not always attach that kind of meaning to our weekly sacramental service. How sacred and holy is it? Do we see it as our Passover, remembrance of our safety and deliverance of, from redemption? With so very much at stake, this ordinance commemorating our escape from the angel of darkness should be taken more seriously than it sometimes is. It should be a powerful, reverent, and reflective moment. It should encourage spiritual feelings and impressions. As such, it should not be rushed. It is not something to get over so that, we, so that the real purpose of the meeting can happen. This is the real purpose. And everything that is said or sung or prayed in those services should be consistent with the grandeur of this sacred ordinance, end quote. These few minutes each week are among the most significant rituals we participate in as Latter-day Saints. How then do, do, do we prepare for it and participate in it with greater meaning? Well, we're not required to slay a lamb, thank goodness, or gather herbs and unleavened bread. Ours is a careful preparation measured in deeds and efforts to remember all that we have promised to do. The passage of time between the partaking of sacrament from one week to the next is a cycle of preparation and remembrance. This is, a sac this is sacramental living. President Joseph Fielding Smith teaches that the sacrament is a renewal of our covenants and thus an incentive for righteousness. We measure our faith by our works. Thus, our desires to prepare for the sacrament are performed with great faith, remembering the works of Jesus Christ and seeking to pattern our lives after him. President Smith has taught, if a man fully realizes that what it means when he partakes of the sacrament, that he covenants to take upon him the name of Jesus Christ and to always remember him and keep his commandments, and this vow is renewed week by week, do you think such a man will fall pray, fail to pay his tithing? Do you think such a man will break the Sabbath day or disregard the word of wisdom? Do you think he will fail to be prayerful and that he will not attend his quorum duties and other duties in the church? It seems to me that such a thing as a violation of these sacred principles and duties is impossible when a man knows what it means to make such vows week by week unto the Lord and before the saints. If we have the right understanding, we will live in full accord with the principles of truth and walk in righteousness before the Lord. How can we receive his spirit otherwise? I can see the significance in the commandment the Lord has given us to assemble frequently and partake of these emblems in commemoration of his death. It is our duty to assemble and renew our covenants and take upon us 
fresh obligations to serve the Lord, end quote. The Holy Ghost guides and directs our preparations as we remember our covenants. It's a beautiful cycle of preparing and remembering, the two working in tandem. We can prepare specifically and deliberately in the hours and moments prior to partaking of the emblems of the sacrament. Elder Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has taught, we commemorate his atonement in a very personal way. We bring a broken heart and a contrite spirit to our sacrament meeting. This is not a time for conversation or transmission of messages, but a period of sacred meditation as members prepare spiritually for the sacrament, end quote. Disciplining ourselves with quiet self-reflection Excuse me. Trans- transforms the power of the ritual. Ours is the offering of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. <coughs> the requirement the Lord requested of the Nephites with the completion of the law of Moses. The way we converse and communicate is reflective of the value we place on the covenant we've renewed. We seek to mourn with those that mourn to comfort those that stand in need of comfort, to bless, and to lift. This is demonstrated in the life of Sister Susan Bednar, the wife of Elder David A. Bednar. Elder Bednar says that Sister Bednar stands at the back of the chapel each week, just making a quiet observation. Sometimes she has a spiritual nudge to help someone right then. (coughs) Excuse me. Other times it comes in a phone call or a note after the meeting. Always, it's greeted with this, how did you know? She's quick to observe and helpful to to meet the needs of others. It's a spiritual gift that she possesses, Elder Bednar says. Our preparation for the sacrament shapes the way we live our covenants. Coming to the Feast of the Lord's Supper each week with the desire to act in faith demonstrates our willingness to always remember him and thus do as we would do if he were here among us. Similarly, the way we participate in the actual rite matters very much. While the prayers and administration of the sacrament are prescribed, our receiving of the sacrament is not prescriptive. Thank you. In those brief moments, we are invited to ponder the magnitude of the atonement while making our own sacrificial offering in the similitude of the Son, the offering of contrite brokenness. This is a moment of absolute focus and fixed determination to ponder anew what the Almighty can do. The actual participation in the ritual is brief, thus the prospect of reminiscing is expanded (coughs) by continually preparing for the next opportunity to worship in the ritual of the sacrament. Isn't that a lovely idea that in this very moment we're preparing for our Sunday worship? In the case of this practice, the remembering is bound with a promise. In our willingness to strive to always remember him and keep his commandments, we're promised that we will have his spirit to be with us always. This is a promise we should all take at face value and trust that we can have this third member of the Godhead to walk with us always. Establishing a priority of seeking the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost should be of utmost importance to each of us in our daily walk. In that upper room setting, the Savior promised, 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Holy Ghost's mission is to testify of Jesus Christ and the atonement. He bears witness of the pure light of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace and the source of absolute truth. He is the protector of deception. This experience of ritualizing the sacrament has been a blessing in my life. Not long ago, I had a profound experience with partaking of the emblems of the sacrament. On this particular Sunday, I needed to be in two places at the same time. I haven't quite figured out how to do that. One was a ward conference. The other was a primary children's sacrament meeting presentation. I knew I could figure it out, and I could probably juggle it and find a way to be at both events in part. But I decided I needed to pray to know where the Lord wanted me to be. The answer was simple and came as a thought. The name of a man at our stake that was in a serious battle with cancer came to my mind. He lives in the ward that was having their ward conference. I went to his ward. As I sat in the back of the chapel, contemplating the prompt to be there, I found myself filled with emotion. While I didn't see this man in the congregation, I felt grateful that I had acted in obedience to the simple prompting. We were singing one of my favorite sacrament hymns, In Humility, Our Savior. The words penetrated my heart. In humility, our Savior, grant thy spirit. Here we pray as we bless the bread and water in thy name this holy day. Let me not forget, O Savior, thou didst bleed and die for me when thy heart was stilled and broken on the cross of Calvary. Fill our hearts with sweet forgiving. Teach us tolerance and love. Let our prayers find access to thee in thy holy courts above. Then, when we have proven worthy of thy sacrifice divine, Lord, let us regain thy presence. Let thy glory round us shine. My whole soul seemed to be responding to the pleas of this song. I found myself reflecting on the atonement and my opportunity for change. I desired to understand more of the humility of our Savior. My heart desired an example, a visualization of hum humble service. In those first moments of the passing of the sacrament, I heard someone coming into the chapel. At the door was my friend, the man whose name had come to my mind that morning. He required the help of his brother, and he needed a walker. He was facing death. Yet he slowly made his way to take his position at the right of his bishop as he was serving in the counselor in the bishopric. I watched him struggle, unable to move on his own. I marveled as he took the steps to the rostrum. He didn't have to be there, nor did he need to take the place on the stand. The entire congregation seemed to be in awe of his effort to perform his duty of being where he was supposed to be. Tears freely flowed as I watched him and the spirit whispered to me, 
Here is an example of humble service. This was one of those precious parabolic moments filled with custom tutoring in response to my heartfelt need. In that moment, I had a clear view of myself in the true light of the sun. I could see more of my potential to be a dutiful disciple. The Spirit testified a simple truth to me. Jennifer, perform your duty with humility. Here was an example of an offering of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I was changed by my friend's example. My friend died a few weeks later. At the viewing prior to the funeral service, his wife told me that he had awoken that morning and said he wanted to go bear his testimony in sacrament meeting. He didn't have the opportunity that day to stand and use words to testify, but he testified to all of, the, all of us with his deeds. He exemplified his love for the Lord through his actions, reminding us that the Savior wants us to know him. Christ invites us to come quickly unto him. His love casts darkness away. We're protected from deception when we choose to walk in his light, as we see ourselves as we really are and as we really can be. This true, honest, penetrating light shows us the truth of all things. Indeed, our Savior's love shines like the sun with perfect light. He lights our way, leading us back into his light to share eternal life. I know this is true. I know this is true. And in this Easter season, I bear witness of him with an unwavering love and desire to be like him. May the Lord bless you as you seek to walk in the light of his love is my prayer in the sacred and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, Love and Marriage, and the Prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.